Hey, I want to take a moment. Um, I have four children, and every time my child was born, as soon as my child was born, uh, I would lay hands on my child. And the first thing I would do is pray over my child uh, because I knew um, that all of a sudden my child is on the enemy's radar and that the enemy, just like God, the enemy has plans for my child. And um, we, I recognize, you recognize that even the children that we saw in this video are um, being raised. It's crazy because it's like every new generation, it's like, man, this, this is the craziest generation we've seen in terms of what's happening in the world and sin and brokenness and culture. Um, and I believe uh, that it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse, uh, which is why it's even more so important that uh, we continue to equip our children and pray over them. It's never too early um, and it's never too late but to pray over them that they are uh, protected by God's grace and covered by God's grace and that we help raise them to be warriors for Jesus Christ. And so I want to uh, first say thank you. I have four children in there and I know my children. So I would say the volunteers deserve a uh, thank you to the volunteers in there. Um, but joking aside, it's, it's an incredible investment that they put into these children. Um, and so just be sure uh, to thank a volunteer, to thank them for the way they're pouring into our children, which is part of the reason why we're going through this whole campaign, uh, to continue to create space to reach families, to pour into kids, to pour into children, as the outside culture uh, becomes more and more anti-Christian, uh, to help our children understand uh, the Word of God, to start an early foundation uh, before the enemy tries to begin a foundation uh, in their lives. If you're visiting today, uh, we are going through a campaign. Um, and really this campaign, although it's physical in its nature, it really does have uh, spiritual principles behind it. It's a whole spiritual purpose. And the reason why we're moving forward is no secrets because we believe God has called us to move forward in the midst of this. Uh, we are walking through um, Hebrews 11, we're calling this series By Faith and what it looks like when God calls you to move on faith. And, and here's, here's what I've recognized. Um, when God calls someone to move on faith, when you look throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and this is going to be true for your life, you will experience to some degree spiritual warfare. You will experience spiritual opposition. Things will begin to happen in your life that you don't fully understand why it's happening. But as soon as you say yes to God, it's like you, you get on the enemy's radar. Um, and before I move forward, let me, let me just say this too. Um, Justin is a graduate of the U of A. So he reminded me this morning that the Wildcat, is it Wildcats? The Wildcats won their conference championship for basketball. So congratulations. GCU also won theirs as well. I love how it was just Justin clapping for U of A and all of us for GCU. Uh, I was looking at the, um, some of you may know, Coach Bryce Drew attends church here, and uh, I like to keep up with them, see how they're doing. So I was watching last night, very late game, um, and the press conference. And one of the players, Gabe, uh, he, he quoted this passage, and I thought, I'm using this tomorrow. Um, I didn't steal it from him. I stole it from Romans. And, uh, but here's what he quoted. I want you to listen to this because it's so true. Listen, Romans 5, and he quoted this, and it, I thought it was, number one, he used his platform that God had given him to point back to Christ. Like, man, that's unbelievable for a 20-something-year-old to use his platform. I'm not, I don't know him. I'm not saying he's perfect. In fact, none of us are. But to use that moment to point to Jesus, and, and here's what he 
quoted Romans 5, verse 3. says, this is what I've been telling my teammates. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. He, he was talking about how the team had some challenges and there were, there were some things going on and there was discouragement. But he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. I want you to think about something for just a minute. Um, First of all, let me newsflash for everybody in this room. Most of us have experienced it. In this life, you will experience some kind of suffering that's out of your control. Now, in order for me to really make this sense to all of us in this room today, this word suffering in the Greek just means hardship or discomfort. So, In this room, all of us will experience some hardship or discomfort in your life. You will experience discomfort in relationships. You will just experience discomfort in even church. You'll experience it in your career. You will experience to some degree discomfort because we live in such a broken world. We live in such a broken world that you will experience to some degree, whether that's self-inflicted or inflicted by others, you will experience this. And the reason why I love this, because the, the, the text is saying that you will experience suffering, but it's how you look at suffering that gives you the endurance to push through. So for example, um, several months ago, uh, I recognized it was time for me to start working out again. And so I joined Orange Theory. Let me tell you why I joined Orange Theory. They got me. I saw all these ads of before and after transformations. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for right there. How do I get that? So I go in and um, I sign up for Orange Theory and then I start to go to the classes. What I didn't recognize uh, was how hard it was going to be. And so I go to Orange Theory, and the classes, and I had worked out like in a couple of years, and the classes were like brutal. They just push you and push you and push you. And here's like the worst thing about this, in my opinion, is that you, were, you wear this heart monitor, and everybody sees where you're at on the screen, and then it tells on you. So there's different colors to let people know how hard you're working. And if you're in the gray, you're not working that hard. And, then, and you're in the orange and the red, you're really killing it. And the worst thing is, is I'm kind of like, well, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I've had a long day at work. I'm going to take this one easy. So I'm just kind of rowing easy. And then all of a sudden you hear um, the trainer on the mic that goes over the speaker so everybody can hear say, no, we pick it up. You're not working hard enough. I'm like, oh, pick it up. I'm working hard enough. You know, and now you want to hold me accountable for this? And so, but, but here is the thing. And so I kept going over and over and over. Justin, our, 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 head elder, our head chairman for the deacons who prayed up here, you can see he has a nice jawline. He does Orange Theory. And I was like, I want that jawline. How'd you get that? And so here I kept going and I kept pushing myself and it was torture and I'd leave afterwards. But here's the thing. I didn't keep going because I enjoyed the torture or I enjoyed how the trainer would call me out by name in front of everybody. And then someone leaked that I was a pastor. So they started me calling me Pastor which is even worse. (laughs) And so now here I am, but I kept pushing through because of this reason, not because I enjoyed the present suffering and discomfort that Orange Theory was causing me, but I pushed through because I wanted to see the transformation that would come from it. So what the scripture is saying 
is it's not that we as believers are going to enjoy the suffering that God allows us to go through. It's not that we even ask God to bring on suffering because it's so good and we love to hurt. We push through the suffering because of what we see the suffering will produce and provide for us. When God allows you to suffer, which he will, by the way, in that moment, you will not enjoy the suffering. But if you persevere, you will be able to enjoy the fruit of your suffering. See, here is what I believe. Most Christians don't get to enjoy the fruit of their suffering because they don't suffer well. And when you don't suffer well, you suffer longer. But when you suffer well, when God is done molding you and shaping you in the midst of your suffering, and it will be uncomfortable, and you may even doubt your faith, and you will doubt your friends, and you will doubt your calling, all this will happen in your life. But if you endure suffering well, you will see that God will use the exact same suffering to give you a spiritual transformation. You will get a spiritual six-pack if you endure the suffering. And here's the crazy thing about it. If you dare try to cheat the suffering, and if you dare try to sin in the midst of your suffering, we have a great trainer who will call you out. And as I always say, he will not let you sin in peace. So this passage continues, I think, fits perfectly, perfectly in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We're going to take a look at this one verse in Hebrews today because what we're going to see, and here's my desire for you, if I have a thesis statement for this topic, this sermon today, it is this. How do we walk by faith when you cannot see? How do you walk by faith when you cannot see? Let's take a look at verse 7. And I've told you before, this word faith means trust and belief in the Greek. So here's what we're going to say, by faith, by trusting and belief, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. So here is Noah, Scripture will tell us, and I'll take us back to its context in Genesis, that Noah is walking with God. And when you walk with God, you can discern the things of God and hear the voice of God. He was walking with God. He heard the voice of God. He believed God for what? For things unseen. So here is Noah walking with God. God tells Noah to take a step of faith that may, may seem a bit ridiculous to the, something he cannot yet see. And here's what Noah does. He hears God and he obeys God. It says this, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark. God told him, you may have heard the story, God told Noah, I want you to build an ark because I'm going to flood this entire uh, place up. I am going to do away with humanity because of how sinful and broken it is. Noah, here's what I want you to do. I know you've never heard of a boat. You've never seen rain, Noah, but I want you to, to trust me and believe me even when it doesn't make sense. I want you to build an ark. Here's what's incredible is that Noah could have found all kinds of reasons not to be obedient. Here, here, here's what, what we do. When God calls us to do something hard or take a step of faith and we don't understand, we find loopholes for reasons that we don't have to be obedient. We find reasons not to be obedient. 
We find loopholes not to have to place ourselves in a situation where we are fully trusting God. Or even worse, we give God partial obedience, not full obedience. Many of us give God partial obedience and wonder why we don't receive full blessing. And here's what Noah does. Noah says, God, I hear you out of fear. Look at this, reverent fear. This means that he had a healthy fear of God to understand if I don't obey God, God can do whatever he wants and I don't want to figure out what that's going to be. So I'd rather just be obedient. So he has a healthy fear of God. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Here's what you have to understand today. Your obedience is not just for you. When God is calling you to be obedient, your obedience doesn't only impact you. Noah's obedience impacted his household. At the same time, your disobedience or your sin doesn't only impact you, it impacts others around you. So Noah figures out um, the, the safest thing for me to do is to be obedient to God because if I don't become obedient to God, I put my family at risk. So the safest thing for me to be, even when I don't understand, the safest place for me to be is obedient in the will of God, even though I cannot see what God is going to do. Then scripture says, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So by his life, he condemned the world because he lived differently because he obeyed God. Now, we have to, in order to get the full context of Noah's life and what exactly is going on, I want you to take a look at Genesis chapter 6. This is continuing in the context of Noah's life. Now, this is, I'm going to drop some stuff um, here today that may, may make you say, what? But listen to what's going on on the earth. When man began to multiply, so remember, God told man to be fruitful and multiply. In that, he has given man free will. This free will comes in when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God. Now, let's, there's a lot of debate on what this phrase, the son of God, means. Some will believe it's from the lineage of Seth, that these are the sons of God. Others believe, because it's used in Scripture about five more times, that this is speaking of the fallen angels. Uh, I'm under the impression, I believe, the sons of God is referring to fallen angels because of the context in which they're used. This is important because you're about to see what's about to take place. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. Now, you talk about uh, getting into some demonic spiritual warfare stuff, which is very real, by the way. I mentioned last week that the way for sin to come into your life is through the doors of disobedience. If you want to go even deeper, um, demonic forces and demonic power and demonic um, spirits and spiritual warfare begin to the reside and influence in the hearts of men and women who do not have Christ residing in them. If you're a Christian today, um, if the Spirit of God resides in you, you cannot be demon-possessed, but you can be demon-distracted. You can be demon-influenced, but you cannot be possessed if the Spirit of God resides in you. So here's what happens. Scholars would say that these fallen angels, demonic spirits, came in into men who were not following God. 
So these men were not following God. They were living in sin, which opened up the door for them to reside in the hearts of men who were not following God. So we call this spiritual warfare. So the areas of your life today, think about the, the addictions that you have and the different sinful areas, whether, whether that's, um, let's say, pornography, or whether that is just um, extreme pride, or whether you uh, struggle with lying or stealing, whatever that may be, or, or you have substance abuse. Here's what has happened. At some point in your life, and I know because this was my past, you opened up a door to the enemy and you let him in. And the enemy has taken residence and power over this area of your life. But here's what we try to do, is we try to defeat this spiritual area of our life that has demonic power by placing behavior modification into it, thinking that behavior modification will conquer the spiritual demonic force. In order to release the, um, uh, the demons out of the doors of our life that we have opened those to, we have to, number one, confess that we had opened the door at some point in our life. The reason why you confess is because you begin to shine light on the areas of your life that the enemy is beginning to take control over. The enemy does not win his battles in the light. He wins them in the dark. So when you open the door on the enemy, he loses his power and you begin to shut that door. If you leave the door shut and you call that sin something else, you cannot win that way. This is why so many of us are still battling with the same sin over and over and over, because we haven't brought it out to the light. And we think that placing tools around us and, and all this stuff is gonna make it better. That will help, but that won't defeat the demonic power that you open up the door to. So, this is very real, by the way. You don't think it's real? Take a look at our culture today. What are you seeing? Evil. You're seeing complete evil because the enemy has found people to reside in, into who is carrying out his plan and his vision. You see it all over the place. So, which means that spiritual power and warfare is very, very real. This demonic force is very, very, very real. Here's what happened. These people were not living for God, so the fallen angels, these demonic power resided in men, and it says that they took wives as they chose. Are you saying that demonic powers resided in men and angels with women? The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any as they chose. Now you have, watch this, I want you to see a correlation between what we see today in our culture and what they saw back then when God wiped out entire humanity. You have sexual immorality. But here's the thing, it's not just they're messing up and they feel bad for it, it's that they are saying we are gonna do whatever we want to do with whomever we want to do it with. There is a sexual identity problem that's going on. There's all kinds of stuff. It's amazing how the enemy attacks. The enemy will always attack through our senses. And he'll always attack. He always has for some reason. He, he, he will attack this area of sexuality. He has attacked it from day one, and he will continue to attack it. You know what some scholars say? That the reason why the fallen angels came in and began to reside in humanity is because that Satan wanted to pollute the DNA of humanity so that the seed of God, the Messiah, couldn't be born through anybody if everybody was possessed. Whew. Make a little more sense why God had to clear everything up, huh? Now listen to this, because this is a foreshadowing of what we will see one day, because the culture has repeated itself, has it not? 
And we know that Christ will come back. So watch this. I know this is a lot of stuff for you, and some of you are scared right now. You never heard this. And this is why the enemy frequently just lives amongst our families and lives, because we don't expose what he's actually doing. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. He shall be 120 years. This is not humanity's new lifespan. I believe he is saying, this is um, how long I am going to give them before I flood this thing, and they have an opportunity to turn and repent. The Nephilim, which the Nephilim, um, those would say these were the uh, giants, the, the children from the angels uh, and, and, and the women on earth. So were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So here is God. He creates. He sees free will go absolutely crazy. It says, the Lord saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. So it's not that God wiped out a bunch of great people. It's that God wiped out people who would never turn. They would never repent. All they had their minds on were evil, evil, evil. And it says, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will, not, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. And I want you to know something today. This means he was right with God. doesn't mean he was perfect. He was right with God. He was not perfect. He was right with God because he obeyed God and he walked with God, not because he was perfect. Because later on, we're going to see him getting drunk. It's amazing who God will use. Noah, what's amazing about God is that God can use anybody he wants to use. And he doesn't need to consult anybody with whom he chooses to use. God will pick whoever he wants because here's what happens. When God used the least likely to succeed in the eyes of man, it only brings him glory. It brings him glory. And it reveals how great and how powerful he is. Noah was a righteous man because he walked with God, not because he was perfect before God, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Here's the key right here. If you don't hear anything else for your life today, Noah walked with God. Walked with God when he was sinful. Walked with God and he was discouraged. He walked with God. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all the flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I'm going to go to verse 14. He tells him, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So here's what we see. We now begin to see him say, the earth is completely evil. Man is evil. Evil is exploding. Population is exploding. Sexual morality is exploding. Have no regard for God at, at all. No respect, no regard. So he tells Noah, by faith, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark because I'm going to destroy everybody. And I love what Noah did. He tells Noah this, make yourself an ark. Um, Noah himself has to do this. Here's a neat thing that when God calls you to, to take a step of faith, you cannot subcontract your obedience. 
Just like he told Noah, I want you to do it. You cannot subcontract your obedience and expect to get full blessing from God. So this is what he does. He begins to build. I love this phrase. He did all that God commanded him. All of it. Not partial. All of it. I will do it all, God. I will do exactly what you want me to do. I will do all of it. I will not cheat you, God. Let me share with you what's going to happen in your life as you take a step of faith. In your life as you take a step of faith. um, I'm just going to draw this for you. Here is your by faith moment, okay? And I've said plenty of things before. I don't know what God is calling you to do by faith, but at some point in your Christian walk, he will call you to do something by faith. Maybe it's baptism, and by faith you're going to do it. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's surrendering your life to Christ. Maybe by faith you're going to give the campaign to help this thing move forward. Maybe by faith. The list goes on because God works in all of our hearts differently. Maybe by faith he's still knocking on on your door about that relationship. And we find loopholes not to do what he's told us to do, right? Maybe by faith and there's all these things, and we wrestle with it. And, and here's what happens. You're going to get to some point where you're tired of wrestling with God, and you're going to say, fine, I will do it. I'll take a step of faith, and, and here, here, here is why you're going to do it. Because um, there is fruit of faith, right? There is fruit of faith. And, and what we get excited about when we take a step of faith is that we're trusting God for the other side. We're trusting God for the other side. And anytime God is involved, it's going to be great because God is involved. But here is what we have to learn to do. You have to learn in your Christian walk, after you take a step of faith, you activate um, um, this demonic power. You get on the enemy's radar. Spiritual warfare begins to happen in your life, and you will have to learn how to live your life in the in-between. In between what? In between your step of faith and in between the fruit of your faith. Because when, when you read the Scripture, anytime someone in the Scripture took a step of faith, there was an in-between before they saw the fruit of faith. And so here's what's going to happen to you. There's going to be an in-between, and this is where you step into the fire. And here's why I'm going to use that word, because in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, um, the, the, the congregation, is they're walking through this because of their faith, and Scripture says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So let me tell you what's going to happen when you take a step of faith. It's, listen, all throughout Scripture, It's going to happen to you, and it's going to happen to me. Spiritual warfare is activated. When God begins to move, the enemy begins to move. And here's what he's going to do to you. I'm telling you, it's going to be crazy. In this right here, in this season of your life, you're wondering how long is it going to last? Here's all I can tell you. You know how how long it lasted for Noah? 120 years. Some of y'all tripping off 120 minutes. And here's what's going to, you're going to suffer. You're going to be uncomfortable in this season. And you're going to be, listen, here's what's going to happen. Let me just straight up. You're going to be tempted in this season while you're waiting for God in ways you've never been tempted before. And you're going to see relational conflict. 
You're going to see like relationships just begin to fall apart and break and stuff begin to happen. Like, what is going on? I can't do anything right, God. You're going to feel like um, you can't hear God in the midst of this darkness. I can't hear you. I don't. Where are you? Did I mess up? Did I hear you wrong? And the enemy is going to be saying this. See, see, uh, you heard God wrong. You should have never taken the step of faith. You're wrong. You, you shouldn't have done it. Uh, he's nowhere to be found. He's never going to come through. And you're starting to think, well, it's been 120 minutes. You're probably right. God's not going to come through because we live in such a fast food, quick world that we expect God to work on our terms and our time. God is not bound by anyone's time or schedule in here. God will do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And so in this moment, you will see this spirit. You know what else you're going to see? And you're wondering, is this true? If you want to see the characteristics of the enemy, take a look at the book of Job, and you will see how he attacks. You will even see random health problems begin to attack you and happen in your life. I cannot tell you that it's from God, from Satan, but I can tell you, according to the book of Job, that is part of spiritual warfare. And you will have to learn to live in this suffering area. But here is the thing. Many of us want the fruit without going through the fire. But the way you get to the fruit of your faith is by walking through the fire. And by the way, let me tell you something. When we hear from God, we say this is such a glorious moment that God spoke to us and we write it down in our journals, which is good, write it down. But here's what you have to understand, that God also writes the stories in the fire. And we are often tempted to think that when life is hard, God is gone. No, he's still writing. God writes hard too. Noah's life, chapter six. Chapter six, it's like, Noah, do this. Noah's like, I'm doing it. I'm gonna do all of it. All of it, God. Chapter seven happens. Chapter eight happens. Finally, 120 years. Watch this. 120 years of waiting on God, being faithful, probably being ridiculed by people, probably people thinking, look, here's a, when you take a step of faith, uh, let's say like um, walk through a building campaign during an, uh, when, during an ec- economical crisis, <laughs> when, you, when you take a step by faith, it's not going to make sense. You can't expect everybody else to understand it. In fact, you don't need affirmation from man when God has already spoken. People may even think that you taking your step of faith looks stupid. Just like Noah. They've never seen rain. You're going to build a what? That's pretty stupid. Everyone who takes a step of faith in the in-between looks pretty stupid until it rains, until it rains. 120 years, you look pretty stupid until it rained. In your life, when God calls you by faith, you will take that step of faith. Nobody will understand. Listen, in this Christian culture today, you, if you are walking closely with God, you know this when I say this out loud, that not every Christian Not every person who calls them Christian is walking closely with Christ. So you can't expect to get people's affirmation from those who aren't walking closely with the Father like you are. So what Noah does is he's all alone. Listen, he is, let's add to this list. He is lonely, lonely. And everyone thinks he is absolutely stupid. 
It's a hard season. I don't know if he doubted. I don't know if he sinned in the midst. Let's just throw sin in here because God is big enough to cover that too. Until it rained. Look at this. Chapter 9. I'm just going to read the first verse. This is, this, is, this is good. You want to see the fruit of his faith after 120 years? Verse 9. Chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah. Anytime you see and God blessed, I don't know what it is afterwards, it's good. It's kind of like when you find out your rich uncle is buying you something for Christmas. It's going to be good. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That God came through in this mighty way 120 years. He was uncomfortable, but he suffered well, and he persevered, and God showed up. So how do you walk? If you are sitting right here, I'm going to give you three quick things, and we're going to be done. How do you walk if you're in a season? Because if I can be honest with you, I don't feel like um, I live here often. Like life is just good, and I'm getting all these. I just don't feel that sometimes. If I would be honest with you, I feel like 80% is probably this. But I have just learned to find joy in the midst of uncomfort, discomfort. If I mean, I've, I've learned to make this kind of my home until God says otherwise. 120 years, 120 minutes, I don't know. But if that is you today, let me, let, me, let me tell you this. How do you get through this? Number one, keep doing what he's told you to do until he does what he's going to do. Now, what are you talking about? Keep doing what he's told you to do until he does what he's going to do. So, for example, Noah kept building and he kept waiting until God brought the rain. So how long do you build? How long do you wait until God makes it rain? And I'm not talking about money, by the way. Until God makes it rain. Number two, remember what he told you to do on the mountaintop because you will need it to get through the valley. There will be times when you're in the fire where you begin to doubt what God said, but if you go back you have to remember what God said in order to get you through the valley. Number three, do all that God has commanded you to do. God says this over and over and over about Noah. Verse 22, Noah did all that he commanded. Chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did all that he commanded. Verse, verse uh, uh, 9, he did all that he commanded. Over and over and over, he did all that he commanded. Uh, in closing, uh, let me share something with you. You can always find Jesus in the Old Testament. Let me share something really cool with you. He told Noah after the ark was built to get something called pitch and seal the inside and the outside of the ark. Pitch, when you look it up in the Old Testament, it was a sealer. Uh, basically, he, he sealed up the boat to be sure that none of the water would get through. The interesting thing about this word pitch is that when you take a look at the Hebrew word and the root word of the word pitch, it means atonement. So this is a foreshadowing. Just like he said to one man, Noah, I will use you to restart and to save humanity. The foreshadowing is this, that in a drowning world that we live in today, that it's headed to destruction and corruption, that God Use Christ to be the sealer 
the atonement for humanity to save us from the destruction around us. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. In Orange Theory, as I'm closing, back to Orange Theory, there are five different zones. You'll see a picture up here. The zone that they tell you to stay in is called the orange zone. It's the orange effect. If, when you're working out, you, you can see that colors begin to change. And they say you want to stay in the orange zone. And in, in the, in the orange zone is where you'll, you'll see the most transformation because if you stay in the orange zone, orange zone, you begin to burn more fat. You burn more calories, which leads to a greater chance of a greater transformation. And so they want you to stay in there. And I have to be honest, uh, it, I like that they put it uncomfortable because it's extremely uncomfortable. It, it, it pushes you and it makes you strain and it makes you persevere and it makes you grind. And for about 55 minutes, you are uncomfortable. But if you stay in that zone, you recognize that staying in the orange zone is going to be worth it if you want to see the fruit of the orange zone. In other words, what God is calling us to do and what God places us in often in our lives is the orange zone. And he will leave you in the orange zone because he knows the transformation that the orange zone will bring in your life. And your job and your responsibility is not when the orange zone comes because you and I both know that life hits and it's way out of our control. And the only thing you can control and I can control is how we live in the orange zone. How we live when God doesn't seem to be there. How we live when it seems like God is silent. How do you live in the orange zone? Father, I pray over our people this morning all of us, God, all of us experience that, that fiery trial in our lives. All of us experience that orange zone in our spiritual life or physical life or mental life. And we battle with mental illness, God. We battle with insecurity. We battle with pride. We battle with sin. And there is this orange zone that some of us feel like we've just been living in for a very long time. But Father, as Romans 5 says, that we can have confidence that in the orange zone, in the midst of us being uncomfortable, you're doing something. You are doing something. You are shaping character and you are building character. And you write the moments in the orange zone, Father, just like you write the moments when we're on the mountaintop. You hadn't stopped writing. We may not like what you're writing, but you're still writing. So Father, would you give us the strength to not to sin in that orange zone because we're upset because we think you're not there? Would you give us the strength not to find loopholes in that orange zone? The truth is maybe some of us are in that orange zone because we're finding loopholes and we're trying not to be fully obedient. If anyone is in this room today and is living in partial obedience, would you please give them the strength to live in full obedience? Because they may be looking at what they're going to lose, but Father, they may not be looking at what they're already losing by their partial obedience. So would you help us? Would you help me as a man of God? 
who doesn't enjoy the orange zone either? Would you help us to live and suffer well in the orange zone, Father? We love you, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your kindness in our lives. We pray for marriages in this room today that the enemy is attacking. We pray for those in this room today that are dealing with depression and anxiety and any other mental illness that are discouraged. Would you give them hope today? Those who are lost trying to find their purpose. Those that have opened up the doors to demonic activity in their lives, would you help them to see where it's at, confess it, repent, and shed light on the enemy? So he may be casted into the, to the pigs, Father, just like we saw Jesus do. Would you work in this church during this campaign? We, we know it's going to be a miracle to raise this money uh, to reach more people, but um, we'll live in the orange zone. <laughs> We'll live in the orange zone until you come through. It's your will, your bill, Father. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.